It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast, a week two edition, not talking about what we thought we were going to be talking about. Uh, the one thing we did know we were going to talk about was Shakespeare's Pizza events and catering. Call them, order eight pizzas or more on a single order. Mention the PowerMizzou.com podcast. They will give you 15% off. That is good for you. It's good for them. It helps us out. So please do that the next time you want pizza. Just order for the next three or four times you want pizza. Get that taken care of. It reheats. It's great. Uh, So call Shakespeare's. Take advantage of that deal. Again, mention the podcast. Uh, Gabe DeArmond here, Mitchell Forty. Very happy not only to be back in Columbia, but not having to leave Columbia for six weeks. Yeah, I, I'm sure you. some of you all saw on Twitter our adventures uh, that, that we had to get to Laramie, Wyoming. It took a mere about 27 hours after we left yep. Columbia. Won't take you through all the details, but involved uh, drinking at an airport Chili's, Gabe eating a panini that had fallen on the O'Hare airport Not floor. Not the whole thing and only the outside, I want to be clear. <laughs> and uh, shoveling burritos from a concession stand into our faces in the moments before the game kicked off. If you ever get stuck at War Memorial Stadium in Cheyenne, Doc's Mexican food. Now, look, it's going to cost you $45 <laughs> to get a couple burritos and a couple tacos. But I... I, I guess I can't promise, but if you've went through what we went through, it was, it's going to be a top five it, meal in your life. It really was, yes. And yeah. the, the speed and barbaric, I don't know, like barbaric nature with yeah. which we ate it really made it better. There were some, like, wild animal noises. It could have been <laughs> broadcast on Animal Planet. Uh, believe it or not, things got uglier there. Yeah. Of uglier from there for yeah. Missouri. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like like you said, didn't think we would be talking about an 0-1 team entering this week, which is uh, now all of a sudden a very, very, very important game. And yeah. we'll, we'll certainly talk about that a little more. Yeah, that's uh, where we're at. An 0-1 team against a 1-0 team that probably barely feels like it's 1-0. So let's dive into that. All right, to preview this weekend's matchup, we're going to talk to Keenan Cummings, covers the Mountaineers for WVSports.com on the Rivals Network. Keenan, how you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, um, appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes. So, I mean, scintillating matchup between two teams coming off of excellent week ones. Um, I, I think the difference, West Virginia fans, correct me if I'm wrong, probably went into this year understanding it might be a little bit of a rebuilding process. Is that right? Yeah, you've heard the term year zero thrown around by some fans. Oh, wow. uh, I think pe- people are on board completely with Neil Brown. It's kind of reunited the fan base, but people understand where West Virginia is at. You know, they've all six guys in the NFL, a lot of seniors. There's a lot of turnover, a lot, just a whole lot of new, and that leads to concerns. So, Keenan, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, even, even – Probably in year zero, probably some fans didn't quite expect uh, to be in a, a dogfight maybe with James Madison, but the team ended up getting a win. What What's kind of the uh, the level of, of, I don't know, expectation uh, coming off of that week similar as it was? Is there a concern based off that performance, or is everyone just kind of, you know, we got to win, let's move on? Yeah, I think any time you play one of those FCS schools, especially one of the really good ones like James Madison is, yeah, they're probably going to be there in a national championship game again this year. It's just a sigh of relief. Uh, you know, you go through the whole entire offseason getting ready for that game. Uh, you know, James Madison had a legitimate chance to win that game on multiple opportunities. But you get out of it, you put it behind you, 
I think there's some concern, but I think it's a lot of the same concern that people had coming into the season. You know, West Virginia didn't run the ball well against James Madison. They had 34 total yards of rushing. 34. That's the lowest total they've had in a win since 2012 against Maryland. They had 13 first downs. They haven't had that combination, 34 yards or, or less, and 13 first downs since 1982 in a win. So they, they were able to gut it out. That, that's the important thing, especially with a young team. They got inexperience across the board. There's lessons that can be learned from it, but you know, obviously a 20 to 13 win over an FCS team is not going to make anybody raise the win total any. I think at this point they're going to have to go out and prove it, uh, and, and this is a good opportunity against uh, what I would expect to be a, a very angry uh, and a very ready-to-go Missouri team. Yeah, you always hear, we talked after the Missouri game, you always hear coaches say, you know, you'd rather uh, have things to work on after a win than a loss. And so West Virginia, like you said, they escaped. Missouri was the opposite. Like, they have a lot of things to work on, and they got beat by a team they weren't supposed to. I'm curious what the reaction was among your subscribers and among West Virginia people. Missouri opened as, a, I think, like a 10.5-point favorite. It's now up to 14. Um I guess that says that people, you know, people think Missouri's better than it showed last week and West Virginia is what it showed last week. But is there any talk of West Virginia being upset or disrespected by that? I think you're always going to have that with fans. You know, they're, they're always going to, there's going to be that, you know how it is, Gabe, and you've done this long enough. There, there's a, there's <laughs> a fan base, there's a faction that is upset no matter what and thinks your team's being disrespected. And then there's the, the other faction that's fighting that faction constantly that, that, that basically is saying we're not good enough. Uh, we need to get better. So you have a little bit of that. I, I think there's still questions with West Virginia. You don't really have a lot of answers, you know, from what you saw against James Madison. They didn't show a lot. You know, Neil Brown would be the first person to say that. They tried to win some one-on-one battles. That's kind of concerning. They weren't able to win some of them, especially in the run game. But they didn't show a lot. You know, they've still got a lot in the playbook. I think this is a week where people start to find some things out about West Virginia. And really, Missouri, for that fact, I mean, you, you can lose a game early and still turn around and have a great season. And speaking of James Madison, I think about that Virginia Tech team all the time that lost to James Madison early in the season. They went on to play in a BCS game. So an early season loss doesn't necessarily doom you. I think that, that you I mean, you saw it. I think Wyoming did some things that maybe Missouri didn't expect. You know, they, they got some good matchups in the run game. I don't know if West Virginia can present that same challenge. Uh, so, Keenan, obviously one of the, uh, you know, West Virginia brings in a new coach and a new quarterback uh, this season. They're kind of the two storylines with the new team. Uh, first of all, uh, what did you see from Austin Kendall kind of in that uh, opening matchup? And, uh, you know, Missouri is a team that they struggled against the run against Wyoming, but they have more often struggled against the pass in recent years. What are kind of his strengths and what might he be able to bring to the table uh, on Saturday? I think he got better as the game went along, and that's what you want to see especially in your first real career start. I think he started a game at Oklahoma for a series and then gave way to Kyler Murray. But he, he played well. Uh, he missed some things. You know, I think you're going to see that in the first game, especially some deep balls. You know, West Virginia probably had eight or nine deep balls that they could have connected on, whether that was his fault or the wide receiver's fault. It could have completely changed the complexion of the game, but they missed those. They can't afford to miss those against Missouri. He did settle in, was much better after the half. I think it was 13 for 17, really had to control the offense. Um, finished the game, you know, pretty decently. I think he was 27 for 42, about 216 and two touchdowns. Most importantly, he didn't turn the ball over. And that's what really won him this job in the first place. He had the highest completion percentage. He didn't turn the ball over. It's something that they tracked from the spring. I think he's a guy that 
he's going to take what you give him. He's not necessarily a runner. He can run. Uh, he's not going to be confused with Kelly Bryant at any point. But I think they're going to ask him to run the ball a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if that's in the game plan after what Wyoming was able to do. So I think all in all, he's solid. You know, spectacular, I wouldn't say. But he's solid and get the job done. Uh, Mitch mentioned the new coach, and I, I think everybody generally thinks Neil Brown was a good hire, did a good job at Troy, all that. Um, I'm less interested in what Neil Brown brings in year one. Then can you explain to me why it just never really seemed to work with Dana Holgerson? Like, he had good teams, but every year you would hear that either West Virginia was looking for a way to get rid of him or he was looking for a way to get out. What didn't work out there? That, we could spend a long time talking about this subject, but to, to sum it up, I think really it comes down to Dana was close so many times, but never got over the, over the cusp. And West Virginia is a proud program. I know a lot of people think, and you know, they played in the Big East, but it's, it's a team. It's a team. It's a program. It's a fan base. They're used to winning. You know, this is a team that went to three BCS bowls from 2005 to 20, 2011, won all three of them. They beat Georgia. In the Sugar Bowl, they, they beat Oklahoma, which now they can't do as their conference mates, which is kind of ironic. But, you know, they won some big games. This is a, this is a team, this is a fan base that, that is very, very prideful. You know, just, they weren't able to get over the hump. They had that good first year under Dana. You know, they, went, they went to the, uh, the Orange Bowl and, and waxed Clemson, which is, that seems like a distant memory. But after that, you know, he had some good teams. Uh, but more often than not, he, he fell short when people were really expecting him to kind of push over the hump. Last year was kind of the year a lot of people circled. West Virginia had a senior-laden team, and the schedule set up for success, and it was still there even late in the year. All West Virginia had to do was win one of two games, and they would have went to the Big 12 title game, and they lost both in kind of heartbreaking fashion. So it kind of goes back to that. You know, It was a natural break. I think Dana was ready for a restart. Uh, he, he got to the point where he kind of wanted the contract extension, but – at some point, you got to you got to kind of get more than eight, eight or nine games in a season if you want to do that. So I think that it was just a natural breaking point for both, and fans were ready to move on. I will say that it's it's almost refreshing because West Virginia as a fan base has almost been fractured since Rich Rodriguez left. You've had so much infighting with who should be the coach, who shouldn't be the coach. Since Neil Brown took over, it's probably the most on board that I've seen people since Rich Rodriguez decided to leave for Michigan. Well, one of the uh, kind of things that, that Neil Brown was able to do well at Troy was was field a pretty good defense. Uh, obviously, that was you know a weaker point for for West Virginia last season, especially against the pass. I think they were they were in the bottom thirty in the FBS against the pass. They had much better numbers in that area against James Madison. Do you think that has more to do with the opponent, or you know did, was Neil Brown kind of able to turn that around uh, that quickly? I think the defense is surprisingly stronger than many people expected, given what they lost. Does that mean they're going to be able to shut down Missouri's passing attack? Probably not. I think we're going to find out a lot about the secondary, especially the secondary. There was some off-season turnover there. And they had an all-big big, big 12 conference safety that entered, entered the transfer portal and had to leave the program. Another projected starter left the program. They had to move one of their starting corners over to safety. So there's been a lot of upheaval there. We're going to find out a lot uh, how they're able to defend Kelly Bryant, what he's able to do with his group of wide receivers. And that's going to be – one of the more telling things, I don't think that West Virginia is going to line up and run for seven and a half yards per carry like Wyoming did. I think they're going to have to run the football, but they're but they're going to have to stop what what, what Missouri is able to do in the passing game. I, I think that you look at what he was able to do last week, 431 yards. I understand a lot of that was, was in comeback mode, 
but they didn't go against that last week. There was only one pass that really even traveled very far. I think it was a 29-yard pass. That was the longest pass they gave up uh, against James Madison. So we'll find out a lot more about this defense as a whole uh, by, by the time Saturday ends. Well, Keenan, I'm going to make you a deal. West Virginia runs for seven and a half yards of carry. You get to moderate our message board on Sunday. <laughs> um, I'm just going to turn no. it over. <laughs> but, I've got um, enough problems. Yeah. So you talked about what kind of the biggest concern is, but if if West Virginia is going to come in and, and get this done and, and win the game, what's where do you think the area where you're going to look at and say this is where they want it, that was their advantage? I think West Virginia has to win every game on special teams, and I know that's cliche. I sound like an old ball coach right now, but <laughs> this is a team that has deficiencies in a lot of places. They, they won soundly in special teams against James Madison. It was the difference in the game, but that's not going to be my pick. I, I think they've got to contain Kelly Bryant. I think if he gets on the edge and has the run-pass option and a lot, of the, a lot of the things that they can do with him, it's going to be a long day. Ben DiNucci, who is not going to be confused with Kelly Bryant, had had a pretty good day running the football against West Virginia. They didn't expect him to do what he could do. Vic Coney, the defensive coordinator, made it pretty clear. You know, if Brian's able to do that, it's going to be a long day at the office. I think West Virginia's got to be able to to limit what he can do. And if they can run the football too, because 24 carries for 34 yards is not going to get it done, guys. It's actually shocking it did get it done, in a sense. But it's not going to get it done against a Power 5 school. So West Virginia's got to run the football, and they've got to try to contain Kelly Bryant. I think those are the two keys for me. Well, Keenan, I can tell you that no Missouri fan would accuse you of being cliche by saying special teams wins and loses games because they saw firsthand it lost a lot of games for them last yeah. year. Uh, uh, one, one other guy I wanted to ask about is a guy Barry Odom brought up uh, specifically on the, the teleconference yesterday, and that's Tevin Bush. Uh, he talked about how they have to be kind of on high alert for uh, you know the different ways uh, West Virginia can use him. What, what does Tevin Bush bring to the table, and what are kind of all the, the ways they can line him up and, and get him involved in the game plan? Yeah, he's kind of your classic gadget guy. Um, came in as a running back from Louisiana. Um, he's he's a pretty short guy. He's about five foot five, five six. Blazing speed though. Um, he's one of those guys you get in the football. He can make things happen. Uh, they'll, they'll use him in some jet sweep action. They'll throw him the football. He he has transitioned completely from a running back into a wide receiver now. So they're going to find ways to get him the football. He only touched the ball I think four times against James Madison, finishing with seventy one yards and a touchdown. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. That's one storyline that we've been following as well here at West Virginia. They've talked about him a lot in camp. His issue has been consistency. And he, he'll have two or three days where he'll just make spectacular plays in practice, and then he'll go without doing anything for a while. So if they're, if they're able to tap into that and get him to be the player they think he could be, he is going to be that kind of weapon that West Virginia can use all over the field and really create some mismatches. All right, last thing for you, Keenan. Just uh, Do you get a sense? Uh, I know a couple years ago, a handful, a decent number of Missouri fans went out to the West Virginia game because, look, most of them hadn't been there. It was a new trip. Do you get a sense or have any idea, uh, you know, how many West Virginia fans plan to make this trip? There's a thread on my message board right now that's getting quite a bit of replies with people that plan to come. So West Virginia generally travels well. Um, even some of the Big 12 venues, especially places they haven't been. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time they went to Texas, you know, the first time they went to Oklahoma, First time they went to Texas Tech, a lot of fans made that trip. So it would surprise me. I mean, there, there's quite a bit of West Virginia's, you know, they, they have a saying here. There, there's a West Virginia connection everywhere, and it, it is kind of true for such a small state with a small population. There's people with ties everywhere. So it would really surprise me. I mean, you're going to have a section there that is likely just people that are associated with Chase Barrett, the only player from Missouri that has ever signed with West Virginia. 
uh, the, the right guard. So you might have a section there of just his friends and family. Um, so it'll be interesting, but, but I do think they'll bring some people. They, they usually do. It, it would really surprise me if they don't. All right, well, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. 11 a.m. on Saturday. Keenan, appreciate the time, man. And uh, everybody, all Missouri fans, find them on Twitter, uh, at Rivals Keenan. Go to WVSports.com, and uh, have a good week, man. You too, buddy. All right, thanks, All right, Keenan Cummings, w- WVSports.com. We'll hit on, this, uh, hit on this game a little more at the end, and then we'll have our separate audio preview for Saturday morning. But going to move on elsewhere in the SEC now. All right, so the only SEC game this week, at least the only one I know of, I'm not going to pretend I really studied it a whole lot, but I know Ole Miss and Arkansas play. We're going to talk a a little bit about that and look around the league. We're going to talk to our friend Neil McCready from rebelgrove.com. Neil, do you want to start with obviously the game of the year in the SEC, or should we start talking about how the SEC had an awful week one? Oh, this is the game of the year, I and mean, this is the game that everybody's been talking about. This is the granddaddy of them all, I believe, is what they call this. The Houston Nut Bowl. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to Ole Miss, Arkansas. I expect I expect that you will see uh, all the national media people here yeah. really diving in. Well, I would like that shortened just to the Nut Bowl. If you could just refer to it that way on Twitter, that'd be great. Uh, but, uh, like, I think the only question— Winner gets a big straw hat. There you go. I think the only question about this, like, do you think this these are the two worst teams in the SEC right now? Ooh, Tennessee says hold yeah, up here. Yeah, Tennessee um, wants to wants to be in that discussion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be wrong to to count them out, and I'm not prepared <laughs> to. I'm not. I'm not prepared to not invite Vanderbilt to this party either. Well, Missouri um, made a claim last week, but. Yeah, and Missouri says, hey, uh, keep a seat warm just in case. No, they're the two worst teams in the West. Yeah. Certainly, and then and then you can we can dive into the East at some other time. Um, yeah, they are. I mean, Arkansas was 2-10 and 10 a year ago. They, they went 0-8 in the league, which means that they even lost to Ole Miss, which won, I think, one game in the league. So, uh, yeah, or two games in the league maybe. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, this is – it's certainly – it's certainly a battle for, for two teams that are two programs that are trying to figure it out for, for different reasons. Arkansas did the Brett Bielema thing that did, did, did not work uh, at all. And they're switching now to a completely different sort of program, if you will, with Chad Morris. And in year two, he's off to a three and 10 start with no SEC wins. I'm sure he'd love to get off that, off that zero this weekend. And then Ole Miss, obviously this is the year guys that the, uh, the, the analogy I keep using with, with my subscribers, and they don't like it because nobody likes this thought. You know how when you max out a credit card and you max it out and you max it out and you max it out, and at some point they won't extend it anymore, and right. you're, you, you have no credit, and you've got to pay it off, and it hurts. You can't go out to your favorite steakhouse on Friday night anymore. You have tuna and ramen, and you put that $75 and you apply it to the credit card bill. And over the course of months and a couple of years, you, you, you get some breathing room where you can live life again. And I think that's kind of where Ole Miss is. This is Ole Miss went, had all the NCAA stuff as, as everyone has documented. And it uh, really affected their 2017 class. It really affected their 2018 class when they were recruiting into instability with an interim coach and all of that stuff. Their 2019 class was pretty good. 
There were a lot of guys from that class that played their first game last Saturday at Memphis, and they're putting together a pretty good 2020 class. But those guys right now are playing on Friday nights and not on Saturdays, so they can't help. So this is the year that the bill comes in, and it is a whopper of a bill, and you're paying it in a league that has really high interest rates, and it's just no fun. And nobody likes to hear that. They want to fire the coach. They want to they they, they want to know why it's this way. And, and by God, demand some answers. And when you give them the answer, that answer is not good enough because it's one thing to talk about rebuilding in, you know, in June. It's another thing to talk about rebuilding in September when you're watching your team get its ass beat. Yeah, absolutely. My one, the one Ole Miss specific question I had, Neil, is, you know, I didn't get to watch the game at all on Saturday as we were making our trek to uh, to Laramie, but just looking at the box score and the numbers, like what on earth happened for an offense to, to have that bad of a performance? I mean, you know, the one thing Ole Miss was able to do last season was move the ball. I know they have a new quarterback uh, this season, but but what what kind of caused those struggles? Well, it's a number of things. Uh, Mitchell, it's, it's, it's a redshirt freshman quarterback making his first college start. There's a lot of people that have forgotten because Matt Corral played in four games last year. Here are the four games that Matt Corral played in last year. He played mop-up against like one of the Southern Illinois-type teams. He played mop-up against the academic power that is Louisiana Monroe. He <laughs> played part of a series against South Carolina. And he pe- played uh, a good bit. But by the time he played against Mississippi State, the game was not in, in – there was no doubt who was going to win the contest. The game was over, and he had a lot to play. And, frankly, he should have been kicked out of that game because very early in that game he decided to uh, get into a fight and throw punches <laughs> and, and, and stuff. So he wasn't exactly calm, cool, and collected that day. That is the, that is the body of, of game experience that he had going in. We've all been around this. Freshman quarterbacks, redshirt freshman quarterbacks, first games, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, for every Bo Nix who started very slowly and Gus Malzahn damn near pulled him, you get 10 Matt Corrals where it's just the moment's too big and they're just not quite ready and and it's a learning experience and it's one that a couple years from now, if all goes according to plan, he'll look back and kind of laugh about it. But he really wasn't ready and their offensive line was atrocious. I mean, it was really, really, really bad, and they were unable to uh, protect him. In fairness to Matt, he, he didn't uh, he didn't have a lot of opportunity to get settled, uh, proverbially, uh, proverbially, or in the real world. I mean, there were some times when it was a three step drop, and he's a pretty quick kid, and by the end of the third step, he was going down. He was getting hit. Um, they they just got beat up front. They went. Uh, one for 10 on third down. They, they couldn't get off the field. They only had 52 snaps or something like that the entire game. It was a complete nightmare. And this is an offense that not only does it have Corral, it's replacing three starters from, from last season, including two that went to the NFL and one that was a four-year starter at center. It is replacing A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Demarcus Lodge, Dawson Knox. Three of the four people that I just mentioned are going to make their NFL debuts this weekend. Um it, it, that's a lot of it's a lot of snaps, and they're replacing them with um, two experienced receivers, one of whom hurt his hamstring in the first quarter and missed the rest of the game. I mean, it was just a really raw green offense that's learning a new offense under Rich Rodriguez. It was just it was a nightmare, and it did not go well. They had a pretty decent third quarter. They got the ball back 
down 13 to 10 on their own two-yard line with about uh, six and a half minutes left. One play later, Corral got sacked in the end zone for a safety, and they never touched the ball again. So they had a horrible first half, a decent third quarter, and really no fourth quarter to speak of going into week two. I specifically wanted you on this week, not really to talk about Ole Miss Arkansas, but because I know that you love SEC arrogance as much as I do. And my big issue since well before Missouri was in the SEC, that is that Alabama, Florida, and LSU winning national titles doesn't mean anything for the rest of you. Now, I want to say, I think the SEC is still probably the best conference in college football, but Short of Mario Cristobal really gifting Auburn a huge win in that last game, to me, you've got LSU, Georgia, Alabama, and the rest of this league really doesn't have anything special. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Uh, so this league right so you got two right and a half teams. Has, this league right now has two national powers: right. Alabama, Georgia. No one can argue that. They're, they're two of the four best programs in the country today. It has two, maybe three other teams that have a chance to make real national noise. I love LSU, what I've seen so far. Uh, I think Burrow is an underrated quarterback. I think they have a chance to do something special. I do. But now doing something special means they have to beat Alabama, and they haven't proven that they can even score against Alabama unless let's beat them. So I'm not ready to go there yet. I like A&M. I think they're still a year away, but I think it's undeniable that Jimbo Fisher's building something there. Now, is he building a national power or is he building just a really good program? We don't know that. He's clearly building a really good program, but is he going to build a program that's ready to be a nationally elite power? It remains to be seen. He'll have to get through Alabama too. And then I like Auburn. Auburn's a, a very good defensive team. Uh, so freshman quarterback, he, he, he who knows, maybe he'll capitalize on this. They've got their hands full a little bit, not with winning, but just in terms of playing well against Tulane, who has a, a sneaky good team and a really good coach and Willie Frist. So, but after that, man, I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, Florida's okay, good, fine. Florida's fine. No one's going to say Florida's bad, but I watch them, and no one's going to say, man, those guys are great. Right. They're not. Uh, South Carolina's not good. I thought Missouri would be better than Missouri is, but they went to Laramie, Wyoming, and lost. It's hard to completely disregard that when you're evaluating a program <laughs> and a team. It's hard to go, oh, yeah, Missouri's great. Just throw that out. No, they lost to Wyoming, for God's sake. I mean, yes. I, you know, I mean, I mean, I can't do that. And then after that, I mean, Ole Miss is bad. Arkansas is bad. Vanderbilt is bad. Um, um, Tennessee lost to Georgia State, for goodness sake. Um, That's a powerhouse. Who are we leaving <laughs> out here? I mean, you know, I mean, no, nobody else sticks out. I mean, Kentucky's fine. He's done a really good job there, but it's still no, one, no one's taking Kentucky seriously. And, um, I mean, I think that covers the league. There's yeah. just – there's nobody really uh, – got the two really good ones. And then, I mean, I don't think anybody wants to play LSU. You're going to have your hands full with LSU. And, and A&M's coming, and, and Auburn, Auburn's got a defense that gives them an opportunity – to, to win some weird kind of Gus Malzahn sort of games. They, they have that opportunity in front of them. But the rest of the league, when the league, when the SEC does this, boy, top to bottom, BS. Top, top to – Top to well, – The one-third mark, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Top, <laughs> top third, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they can do that in college baseball. And, and, it, and frankly, that's the, that's the sport they ought to hype and go, we, we own this thing. Because they do. 
everybody's really good. I mean, you look around in baseball, hell, there's like eight national powers because nobody else around the country really cares, but regardless. Yeah. And, and, and they're a better basketball league than they've been in a while. I mean, it, it's a good, solid basketball league. But football, it's still – I think you can make the argument that Nick Saban has not only dominated the SEC, but that he's wrecked it. You actually just you led perfectly right into my next question. What I was going to ask is, you know, as we see kind of this a little bit of separation between the haves and the have-nots, you know, Georgia and Alabama kind of separating themselves from the rest of the league, does that kind of make – I mean, like these schools are still going to throw tons of money at, at coaches, but does that make it a little bit, I mean, more difficult for, for schools like, you know, maybe an Ole Miss or, or, you know, if Missouri decided to replace a coach in Missouri to, to find, you know, a really good hire to come in because they know they're going to have to compete with, with Nick Saban and, and Kirby Smart and these two juggernauts that no one has kind of shown signs of uh, of toppling? Here's the great part, the great irony of Ole Miss going on NCAA probation, okay? Hugh Freeze would love I – mean, I think he proved last week that he'll sell his soul. <laughs> yeah. he, he would love to have bought all of the players that they were accused of trying to buy. They don't have the resources. You want to throw money at something? Man, let's keep this real. Your listeners will probably appreciate this. It's not buying a really good coach. It's buying a really good linebacker. It's yep. buying a really good wide receiver. It's buying a couple of really good offensive tackles. You want to compete in this league? You've got to compete with those resources. Let's not do this beat around the bush thing about what great coaches they are and blah, blah. They are. <laughs> but, guys, those are machines. Yep. I lived in Alabama. That is a machine. Georgia is a machine right now. Yeah. And how many of these other programs that we just named, how many of the other programs that we just named have the ability to put that sort of a machine together? A&M does. And if Auburn decides to pay Gus Malzahn $27 million, Auburn does. But that's it. Auburn, Auburn can get in the, in the neighborhood. A&M has it. A&M is on its way to doing it. They are absolutely following the formula. And you probably could argue that LSU can do it. That's about it. All right. So, so you, are go there going to be haves and have not have and have nots in the league for as long as there is a, a difference in desire? Yes. Yeah. All right. So last thing, and you mentioned Hugh Freeze and my final question, since we started this, I have planned Hugh Freeze coaching from a hospital bed was a great thing or the greatest thing that's ever happened in college football. It's the greatest thing that ever happened. I cannot <laughs> wait for Halloween. I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out a way to get a hospital bed here so that I can pass out um, Asian candies to the uh, to the young children of Oxford when they come up and trick the tree. I, I can. I'm working on it, fellas. I, you I, you it, need it, to have one of them like wave to you, and then you flash back the thumbs up as they walk back down your driveway. Oh, the, the, the Dino all Babers. Of done. I'm I'm thinking about um, hiring one of our interns for the for the for the evening to just hold a microphone in my face. Um, I mean, I have plans. I have plans. Can you believe that? Well, I mean, well, yes, you can believe it because it's you freeze. But the greatest thing I heard on, on the Yahoo podcast, Dan Wetzel said, how are you the ESPN interviewer? And like you have Hugh freeze captive there. So how do you not ask, like, why did you call the strippers? Did you really pay the player? Like he can't go anywhere, dude. He's in a hospital bed. He couldn't yeah, walk out of the it, interview. But there's the problem with it. We get it. We, 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 we got a, kind of fun little podcast here we'd have to get real there's the problem with when you are the sec and you are a corporate partner 
with these people, it really sort of limits yeah. their ability to do any real journalism. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, she asked that question and she's not working there again. Yeah, fortunately, there's people like us to do real journalism on this podcast and get <laughs> yeah, Halloween yeah, costumes. We're tearing it up. So, all right, appreciate it, Neil. Thanks, man, Thanks, and uh, enjoy hosting uh, the entire University of Arkansas at your house this weekend. That's what that's the plan. We've got about ten of them, I think. So we'll we'll do our best. <laughs> all, right, all right, thanks, Neil. Neil McCready, RebelGrove.com. Uh, and it, like Neil said, what what will lead into perfectly kind of the way I want to end this. Uh, but first, I want to remind you to call Shakespeare's, get your eight pizzas this weekend. It's a perfect tailgate. Like, you need Panda's Pepper at 9 a.m. in the parking lot. Call, get eight of them. Mention this podcast. You're going to get a 15% discount. That's fantastic for you. It's fantastic for us. Rate the podcast, review the podcast, do all that. But Neil said, and he said it kind of jokingly, but he's 100% right. You know, they lost to freaking Wyoming. You can't just pretend everything's fine. And I... Like, I'm not trying to fire anybody, but I'm getting a little tired over the last two or three days of seeing all the this narrative being pushed as if people are almost getting paid to say, okay, it's time to move on. No, they lost to Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. Right now, that's what they are. Right. And they get to wear that at least for another three or four weeks until they go prove that's not who they are. Yeah, and I mean, like— you know, that's what the players and coaches are going to say. It's time to move on. I mean, and that's probably oh, what I'm they actually Oh, I'm not talking about players doing. and coaches, right, but right. yeah. I know what you're saying. Uh, but, like, that's what they were going to tell us. We knew that going in. But we also knew that, you know, everything we pretty much write, like, through media day of this past week was about that game because, I mean, it is, first of all, it's, week one is always important. It's, you know, the, the first evidence you, you see of the team are actually putting on the field. And secondly, I mean, it just is so it was so shocking based on the, the offseason hype and kind of the expectations going into that game and especially how it happened with giving up 297 rushing yards so i mean that yeah that's you know it's a huge obviously a huge story and uh and yeah quite frankly i mean it's gonna take maybe five or six wins in a row to to probably get people to stop talking about yeah and uh, let's be clear they cannot lose this game this weekend right if you start this season oh and two with losses to wyoming and frankly a below average west virginia team Everyone is done, and short of winning every other game, it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it would totally, totally, totally. I mean, we've already kind of harpooned, I think, the fan support, but it would totally cut the bottom out of that. And, like, we've seen— And you next know, week is SEMO. Nobody's coming to that. Right, and we've seen before. I mean, like, you know, they're, they're, an early season game or a couple of early season losses, like, it, it, you know, you want to take each game on the schedule at face value, but, like, you lose a, a couple of early games and you start getting, you know, maybe the, the, the morale falling apart of the team. Like, that can totally bottom out of season so yeah the, i mean this has absolutely become you know probably the most important uh, game on the schedule and and it's one they need to win yeah and like it or not you count wins before the season now players and coaches will say they don't but all the players and coaches look at that schedule and go mm -hmm. hey we could do this and we all did it all offseason said they could be eight no now we both said that's a little out over your skis anything less than six and two going to georgia it, it's over don't pay attention to the rest of it uh, They've got to be five and one going to Kentucky at this point. Uh, yeah, most likely. I mean, like I mean, I can because see if them... you're two and two, and it, okay, you beat Wyoming and Semo, but then you lose to South Carolina. A, you can't. Whatever the NCAA says doesn't matter. You can't win the East. Yeah, and 
you've lost again to South Carolina. Like they've got to be five and one going to Kentucky. Yeah. Well, then I guess kind of by that logic, though, you might as I mean, you kind of almost have to be like six and one going into Georgia, right? Because then you couldn't win the East either well, way. Well, Georgia's the eighth game, but or, yeah, sorry. I, you know, I, I mean, at least at seven and one, you win seven in a row. You're ranked, all that, and you lose to Georgia. You lose to Georgia. True. So be it. At least you still go to Georgia. Theoretically, if we beat them, we can win the East. Yeah, yeah. You know, you lose two before that, and you have no chance. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, like honestly, you know, I, I just, I don't think, to, I don't expect them. I guess to have a chance to win the East anyway. It's fair. I mean, yeah. a team that we saw is not gonna. I don't think beat both Georgia and Florida. It's not gonna happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, like just, just for, just to get everyone back on board, you, you need to see them. You know just win a game that's going to excite people. And even if, you know, South Carolina really isn't even that good, like that's at right. least, you know, that's people showing progress. And yeah. they haven't beat them in, what, four years. Yeah, so. nobody on this team ever has. And, and again, like I wish we could be at a point where you can say that was awful and that's up there with the worst losses they've had in 15 years without also attempting to fire everyone on Monday morning. Yeah. Like, there has to be some in between. There. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we can talk about, yeah, what all went wrong, and there was a lot. And, like, you know, my story this morning, talk about the, the yeah. troublesome kind of trends. And you've pointed out also, you know, Barry Odom's records oh, in game that? when he has times to prepare. I mean, those are very troublesome things. At the same time, we're, no one's getting fired after week one, so, like, can we not go right. there? And we don't have and, to now spend, you know, the entire rest of the season, everything, sometime something goes wrong, I'll fire everyone. Like, right. we, we will make we will, those but... decisions will be made in due time. And, you know, if we reach a point, I think, you know, where – us as people who follow the team think like, man, it is probably in Missouri's asked. best interest to fire, you know, coach X, then maybe we, we will advocate for that or at least bring it up. But we're not at that point. Right. And I do want to finish with this. Look, Barry Odom is going to coach the rest of the season, barring something like crazy a, off the field. Yeah. Like he's going to coach the rest of the season. But at what point, just if the defense isn't better than what we saw on Saturday night, at what point do we seriously start saying, um, what's going on with Ryan Walters? To me, if you're one and three after South Carolina because your defense looks like that, then it's time to start asking that question. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I quite frankly, I don't see one and three being very likely. But if if, if we reach that point, yes, yeah. I definitely think so. I mean, that's yeah. like that's where you're definitely getting to the point of, you know, desperate measures, right. you know, to try to save Barry save your own job. job. Yeah. Exactly. And, but I think that's what it would take. Something like, you know, one and three, you know, like two and four midway through the season, something like that. I, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't I don't think. I mean, like, it's an athletic sport that just paid, uh, that doesn't have a lot of money, that just paid the guy an extra, like, $900,000. If you fire him, now someone else on staff has to take up his responsibilities in addition to their own. Like, really, it just, all it would be is just a, a last-ditch effort type of yeah, thing. shuffling of the deck yeah, chairs. exactly. Yeah. So, look, kickoff 11 a.m., ESPN2. We will be there. Um, it is not at all the lead-in we expected, um, but this is where they're at now. It's a game they've got to win. So thanks for listening. Next week, I don't know what we're going to do on the podcast. I know what we're not going to do, which is give you an in-depth preview of the Southeast Missouri Redhawks. Uh, so we'll do something else next week. So thanks for listening now. Hope you listen then. Talk to you in a week.